Love is patient and love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. Love is not rude and is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered and does not keep record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And then you expect to hear, Do you take this woman to be your lawful wedded wife? Because this is a passage that is read very often at wedding ceremonies. We're living in a world that has many diverse ideas about love, about what it is, about the objective of love, about the expression of love. And because we are, we are born into a culture uh, that is so terribly confused about the reality of love, we find it sometimes all too easy to become culturally tainted in our view of love. This morning, as, as we think about love being more than a feeling, I, I want to impress on you that the biblical concept of love is somewhat different from what the world thinks. I, I think when the world thinks about love, there's, there's a lot of thinking uh, uh, about things that are not at all what the Apostle Paul had in mind when he wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll, we'll begin with this point. There is no Christianity without love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Let me say to you, first and foremost... Love is that which undergirds everything that Christianity is all about. And the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, the end of the commandment is this, it's all about love. It's about love out of a pure heart. Jesus, tell me, what is the greatest commandment of all? And what did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's all about love. The Apostle Paul is going to say, let all things be done with love. In just a minute, we're going to crank up and start going through slides unlike you are accustomed to. And if, uh, if you're taking notes and you don't have time to copy all of these references down, we will be happy to make these available to you in a print format uh, later. The Apostle Paul said the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, I'm saying to you this morning that you, you you cannot know God without immediately bumping into this concept of love because John affirms in his epistle, God is love. And so when we're thinking about the nature and character of God, it cannot be separated from love. 
In Colossians 3 and verse 14, the apostle Paul said, put on love. He said to the Corinthians, follow after love. To the Philippians, you need to abound in love. The writer of Hebrews said, you need to continue in love. To the Thessalonians, Paul said, you need to increase in love. Peter said, be fervent in your love. Paul said, be consistent in your love. The writer of Hebrews said, provoke one another to love. And Paul said, be sincere in your love. The fact is that Corinth was a troubled church. The the letter that we call 1 Corinthians, that epistle in our New Testament, is an epistle that is full of church problems. These people had trouble. It was ongoing trouble, and it was showing up, it seems, in every facet of their, of their spiritual life, in every facet of their collective life with one another. They had problem with divisions. The Apostle Paul said in chapter 1, I, I hear that you are divided. There are divisions among you. The problem is, he said, it it is that you are so caught up in your own wisdom. You are so impressed with your own sophistry. You are so full of your own ego. You're puffed up with pride. He said in chapter 3, jealousy and strife are at the root of so many of the problems that you have. And jealousy and strife are the result of a lack of love. He said in chapter 5, You have a problem with a man uh, who is living with his father's wife, and you're going to law with one another. This is unthinkable, the behavior that's going on between Christians in this church. He said in chapter 11, you are struggling over role distinctions, and in part, this is a disrespect and a disregard for one another, an elevation of self. He said in chapter 12, There is rivalry and competition among you regarding spiritual gifts, which means, Paul said, that you don't even begin to understand why God gave you the gifts. The common denominator in all of this, the the church was a mess in Corinth. That church was a mess. And the common denominator in all of these problems was the absence of love. And right in the middle of all of that, we find 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And so Paul says, as he's dealing with this fussing and fighting and who's number one and who's better than the other one, and I'm important and you're not, Paul said, stop the fussing and fighting. I'm going to show you a more excellent way. There's a far better way to live your life in Christ. And immediately, he is going to revert back to this theme, and he's going to insist, love is the key. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and I don't have love, I'm like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. That sounds strange to us. We know what a gong is. We know what cymbals are. What we don't know sometimes is that these components were part of pagan, idolatrous 
worship. And they were used in the pagan temples. And what Paul is saying to them is, I don't care how eloquently you speak with your spiritual gift. If you are doing this with the wrong motive, if you are doing this in the absence of love, you are worshiping like a pagan. That's what he's saying to them. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and remember the Corinthians are very impressed with Greek oratory and Greek sophistry. And Paul said, I don't care how smart I am. If, if, I, if I am the best and the smartest and the wisest you have ever heard, but I don't have love, I am nothing And if I give away everything I have and deliver my body to be burned, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. What's he talking about in this passage? He's talking about agape love. I want to say to you this morning, love in the Bible is not this romantic, sexual love that is so, so exalted in the culture that we live in. There was a word for that in the Greek language. The Greeks had many different words to describe what we throw under one big umbrella of love. They had different words to describe different facets of love. But what Paul is talking about here is not the eros. It's not the erotic love of a sexual nature. He was not talking about touchy-feely love. Oh, can't we all just love each other? Can't we just hold hands and be nice? I just love being with them. That's not what he's talking about. We're not talking about emotional love here. He's not talking about ecumenical love. We're going to come back to this later. He's not talking about indiscriminate hand-holding. He's not trying to suggest to Christians, let me tell you how to get along in the world. You just need to be nice with everybody. Everybody needs to hold hands. Everybody needs to be friends. You need to treat everybody exactly the same way. Let me tell you, he's going to be very explicit in saying, you do not need to treat everybody exactly the same way. That's not what love means. It's not just about being nice and getting along and avoiding conflict. Agape love is an act of the will in which, in one's behavior, he is seeking that which is best for another person. That's what agape love is. It is the seeking of another's good. Something that is in the best interest of the other person. It's not feelings It is behavior. Love does something. I would challenge you to go through your entire Bible, your entire New Testament, and find me one passage where the Holy Spirit tells us love feels like this. Because love is never described in the Bible in terms of feelings. And when Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 is talking about love, he's not talking about how you feel about someone. But what we're going to see very clearly is he's talking about how you behave towards someone because love does something. Love is patient and love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Love is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily provoked to anger and it does not keep score. 
Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. It rejoices in the truth. And love bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things. And love was intended by God to be a continuing, ongoing quality element characteristic of the New Testament church. He didn't intend that for tongues. He didn't intend that for prophecy. He intended that for love. He absolutely did. Love is patient. Love is patient. That means long-suffering. You can underline the suffering part of that. And then drag out the long. Long suffering. And it is a word that was used especially in reference to people. The Apostle Paul spoke of himself, his own heart, that he was long suffering toward others. But he wasn't just describing himself because he makes it very clear explicitly in Ephesians 4 and verse 2, that this long-suffering quality toward other people is something that is expected of all Christians. It, it is what you see in Jesus on the cross when the, when, when the Jews are killing him and he's praying to the Father to forgive them. It is what you see in Stephen when he is pleading with his own countrymen before the Sanhedrin to understand that Jesus is the Christ and they're stoning him to death. Long-suffering. Love suffers long. Love is kind. When we're talking about patience, we're talking about enduring the injuries of others. When we're talking about kindness, we're talking about paying them back with something that's good. That's kindness. Kindness is doing good toward other people. It's, it's that everyday, mundane consideration and respect. It's just what we would call, in the common vernacular, we would call it common courtesy. And I'll tell you what Paul said about Christians. <laughs> he said, among other things, I'll tell you a better way to behave yourself in the church. Why don't you try showing common courtesy to each other? Just common courtesy, civility, good manners. You know, sometimes with people that you're the closest to and people with whom you you share some of the most passionate, passionate ideals in life, Sometimes we can be the most ungracious and unkind if we end up at odds with one another. And Paul said love doesn't behave like that. Love is patient. It suffers long. It can take a lot. And love is kind. It is gracious. Love is not envious. It does not envy. It is not proud. Love does not envy. Envy is, you know, when I want what you have. You have a new car? Man, I want that car. You have a new house? I want that house. You have a new job? I want that position. 
I want what you have. That's the first level. The second level is even uglier. I resent that you have it. And I don't. And that leads to all kinds of problems. And I will tell you, in Corinth, in the church, they weren't lusting or coveting after one another's cars. But I'll tell you what they were coveting. They were coveting each other's spiritual gifts. And God said, first of all, you're missing the whole point. You're missing the whole point of the spiritual gift. And secondly, your behavior in this is indicative of the fact that you don't even understand the most fundamental thing about the body of Christ. Envy is that seething and boiling over, that green jealousy of somebody else's good fortune. And the Apostle Paul said, this very thing is at the heart of many of the problems in the church. In Genesis chapter 4, as we read in our scripture reading this morning, in Genesis chapter 4, that's why Cain killed Abel. Because he did not have agape for his brother. Instead, he had jealousy and envy. In Genesis chapter 37, that's why Joseph's brother sold him into slavery. Because of envy and jealousy, they hated him. Love does not envy. It is not boastful. Envy is when I want what other people have. Boasting is when I'm trying to make them want what I have. Boasting is what little kids do. When when the mom or the dad is dividing the ice cream or dividing the pizza or dividing the cookie and giving each one a piece, and someone holds his up and says, I got the biggest one. You, you, You know that. What's, what's the point? When he's, he's trying to make his brothers and sisters want the one that he has. Paul said, do you, do you have a spiritual gift? In chapter 12, he said, you need to know something. God did not give you that spiritual gift so that you could pin it on your lapel and wear it like some kind of prize that you got. That's not what it's for. And it's not so that you can become puffed up and arrogant. It is not an indication that you are better than anybody else. Because when we begin to brag, that's what we're saying. We're setting forth ourselves as being superior. That's what braggadocia is. It's this feeling of self-superiority. Love, love is not about elevating oneself. Love is about elevating someone else. Agape love is looking after the interest of another person, not of yourself. The Corinthian sin was they were all a bunch of spiritual show-offs. That's why in their assembly they were having chaos. People standing up, taking off their veils, two, three people trying to speak at the same time. They, they were trying to show who they were and what they had. Jesus said of himself, I, I haven't spoken of myself. I've been all about my father's business. I, it, it's a serious thing for us to discern whether or not we are full of 
pride and arrogance and, and bragging. Love is not proud. Conceit is when we're constantly messaging that I'm better than you. In one way or another, the arrogant person, the proud person, the conceited person is, is letting another person know, I'm bigger, I'm better, I, I'm larger, I'm grander, I'm more important. Love says the very opposite of all of that. Conceit is when I want everybody to know about me. Love is when I convince you that I want to know all about you. The Apostle Paul said to the saints in Rome, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. Love's not having a big head. Love is not about having a big head. It's about having a big heart. That's what God wants us to have. Love is not rude, ladies and gentlemen. It is not rude. Jesus called out rude behavior. You remember in the house of Simon the Pharisee, the, the, the sinful woman came in and began to anoint his feet and washing them with her tears and drying with her hair, and, and they were all pretending to be scandalized by that. And, and Jesus said to Simon, the hypocrisy of this. You did not even afford me the common courtesy of a general guest who arrives at a house. No one greeted me. No one kissed me. No one said good evening. No one said welcome. No one said, come in, may I take your coat? May I take your shoes? No servant to wash my feet. You did not even extend common courtesy to me. He called him out for his rude behavior. And let me say this to you, ladies and gentlemen. Being right about something is not an excuse for being rude about it. No one understands this any more than people who work in the fast food industry. Being right is not an excuse for being rude. We need to think about that. But Paul is saying to these Christians, in the context of the church and this fussing about spiritual gifts, the fact that you're right about your gift or what you're saying or, or the position you've taken is not an excuse for you being rude and disrespectful and inconsiderate of other people. Love is not selfish. How many churches do you know of that have divided because brethren were putting each other first? And finally, they just, they just couldn't even have church anymore because everybody wanted the other people to have their way. You ever hear of a church splitting over that? I didn't. I didn't. Jesus is the supreme example of unselfishness. And one of the things we need to learn in our culture is that church is not all about us. So much of the marketing that goes on for churches today, if, if you read those flyers that come, so much of the marketing has to do with us. All about us. What we like, what we want, what's comfortable for us, what's convenient for us, what appeals to us. Church is not all about us. Us. And it's not all about me when I'm among my brethren. That is not what it's all about. And I have to be honest. When conflict arises, I have to be honest about whether or not I am arguing for a principle of truth and righteousness or whether or not I'm arguing for my own taste and preference about something. Love is not irritable. You know what irritability is? You ever live with someone who's just a grump? Or a grouch. Always wearing their feelings on their sleeve. Everybody has to tiptoe around them. The least little thing, they, they just explode 
about it. One, one of the things Peter tells us about Jesus is when he was reviled, he did not revile again. One of the ways we know if we are exercising love toward us, if people see us as someone that they always have to tiptoe around, or there's going to be an explosion, maybe we better stop and reconsider where we are. Love doesn't keep score. That's a neat word. Love keeps no record of wrongs. It was an accounting term. It means to log something, to place something into the ledger. That's what the Lord tells us that he doesn't do toward those that are his. He doesn't put it in the ledger to remember it and to keep it forever and forever. Sins and iniquities I will remember no more, he said. No holding grudges. No reviewing the last 50 years. I'm telling you, that is the 37th time in our our lifetime that he has done that. My parents have done that to me 14 times. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? I've had some hurts in my day. Well, I have too. Everybody can say that. We all have some. And we need to be careful in loving others that we're not carrying this stuff around with us. Love does not rejoice in sin. Not in my own sin, not in the sense... Love is not proud of sin. Does not exalt sin, does not excuse sin. And let me tell you, love certainly doesn't promote sin on Facebook. Be careful what you're doing, what you're posting on social media. Love doesn't rejoice in sin, not my own, not in the sins of others. God is offended by sin, even the sin of our enemies. And we we need to be careful about that. We need to understand how God feels about sin. And and enough of this business of two, two people are married and they're having trouble with each other and one is secretly hoping that the other one will sin so that I can get out of the... Do not even go there. How can you be hoping that someone sins? That's just wrong. Love does not rejoice in sin. Ladies and gentlemen, that is exactly why churches practice discipline. Because there's no rejoicing going on in sin. In 1 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul said, What are you thinking? That you have one among you who is living with his father's wife. What are you thinking? In 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 6, do you have your Bible with you this morning? Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Let's talk about love for just a moment. Somebody says, well, when you withdraw fellowship from someone, isn't that unloving behavior? Because that doesn't seem very nice. It doesn't seem very considerate. It doesn't seem like the loving thing to do with such a one, no, not to eat. That doesn't seem very nice. I want to say to you this morning, church discipline, the withdrawal of fellowship for someone is not unkind and not unloving from a biblical standpoint. To the contrary. The most loving thing that we can do for a person who is lost is to help him see his lostness so that he will seek to be saved. That's the most loving thing that can be done. So look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 5. What does it say? It says, and the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God 
underline that. The Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and the patience of Christ. You remember that word patience? Paul said it's characteristic of agape love. Okay, two things there. The Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and the patience of Christ. And immediately, what does he say? Now we command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you withdraw yourselves from every Christian that walks disorderly. Someone says, well, I just think, I, I just think that is so unloving. Paul just got it out of his mouth. I am directing you into the love of God. And what's the first thing he says? I command you, in the name of Jesus Christ, withdraw yourselves from every Christian that walks disorderly. Love does not tolerate sin. And it does not rejoice with someone who is in sin. Why? Why is that? Because sin is going to destroy that person's soul. It is a soul that God loves. It is a soul for whom Jesus has died. That's why. Instead, love doesn't rejoice in sin. It rejoices in truth. The Word of God is truth. Sin is evil and will destroy a person's soul. Christians rejoice not with error. Christians rejoice not with sin. Christians rejoice with truth, and they rejoice when truth is taught, and they rejoice when truth is lived. In 3 John, verse 4, John said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. Christians joy when their children walk in truth truth. We do not joy when others are living in sin. And Second John, turn your page, one page. In Second John, verse 6, and this is love. Do you see that? This is love. What does he say? That we walk after his commandments. This is love, walking after his commandment. He didn't say, and this is love. You just feel so warm and fuzzy inside. That's not what he said. This is love. Well, you just have this attitude of good. No, it's not. This is love, obedience to the truth, walking after his commandments. And then immediately, what does he say? He said, this is love, walking after his commandments. Immediately, he said, Many deceivers are entered into the world. They confess not Jesus Christ coming in the flesh. This is love, walking in the commandments of God. There are deceivers in the world who do not confess that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. And he said, don't receive them. Don't eat with them. You do not high-five them. You do not give them Godspeed in their journey. You do not encourage them in their lostness and in their walking in darkness. Ladies and gentlemen, love is no excuse for indiscriminate behavior. 
when matters of truth are, are involved, particularly as it pertains to the reality of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. Love bears all things, Paul said, all things. And love believes all things. You want to believe the best about those that you love. And love hopes all things. You don't stop with this eager anticipation for good for those that you love, even as the Father every day was looking for His Son to come home. And love endures all things. All things. You can stone me. You can drive the nails into my hands and my feet. You can break my heart over and over again. I will not back down. I will not stop trying. I will never cease praying that you come back to God. Love is patient and love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. Love is not rude and is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered and it does not keep record of wrongs. Love does not rejoice in sin, it rejoices in truth. And love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And love never ends. And ladies and gentlemen, that is exactly why 2,000 years ago, God sent Jesus to Calvary. Not because we deserved it. Not because we were worth it. It's because He loved. And he loved us even when we were in sin. And he demonstrated that love by calling us in truth to the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, who is God. If you're here this morning and not a Christian, what a wonderful time for you to confess your faith and put on the Lord in baptism. Embrace yourself, clothe yourself in the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. If you're a child of God who needs to come home to that love, won't you come this morning while we stand together and sing?